Okay, friends, it is 619. Who's here with us? Christopher. Heather. Jose. Dave. Excellent. We're going to talk about heart, and we're going to talk about heart score, and we're going to talk about the Dutch. Okay, what country do the Dutch live in? The Netherlands, great. Why do they sometimes call the Netherlands Holland? These two things are often confused. Okay, so Holland is actually two biggest states. There's North and South Holland, and pretty much everything that's famous in the Netherlands is in Holland. So that's where Amsterdam is. That's where most of the cities live. So oftentimes they're confused and people either talk about Dutch people or Holland people and blah, blah, blah. So the Dutch is the language. The Dutch is the, the type of people, right? The Netherlands is the country and Holland is a moniker for it. The irony being that they actually, if you go to the website for the Netherlands, their tourism website is actually holland.com. So it kind of propagates the, uh, the misconceptions about it. Why am I starting off with the Netherlands? Well, it's because the heart score, which we're now using to kind of stratify chest pain as low risk, intermediate risk, and high risk, came from Holland. And it came from this uh, group of ER docs there, led by a female doc called Dr. Bacchus. Okay? Another, another side note here. Who was the Greek? The, actually, it's a Roman god, Bacchus. Nope. It's the god of wine and partying. Okay, that's why it's called a bacchanalia, if you've ever heard that term. Okay, no, you've not. Okay, lots of puzzled looks, except for Chris. He's nodding his head because he's a cultured man over here. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Bacchus, right? And the story goes that they actually were talking about how crappy our current risk stratifications were about Timmy scores and Grace scores a lot of them which were not developed to practice in an emergency department. Both of them were kind of extrapolated and bastardized into an ER setting. And they said, I bet we can do a lot better job developing a risk, stratifi risk stratification score that we can use in the ER. And what they came up with was the heart score. And the heart score is a lot like the APGAR scores that we use for neonates. Is It's one, the mnemonic heart actually stands for something and everything is graded from zero to two. And it's really easy, it's an awesome pneumatic. So H, H stands for history. So when you're talking with a patient and you're thinking, does this chest pain sound like cardiac related chest pain? You can either grade it zero, it doesn't sound suspicious. So these are the people who, you know, it's tender when they push on their chest, it hurts when they breathe, maybe it's constant type pain. One is moderately suspicious, so these are the people who, maybe talk about their pain being a little pressure, but it doesn't radiate anywhere, etc. And there's the people who get really suspicious, right? That their chest pain sounds like cardiac pain. It's a pressure, it goes to my jaw. When I walk, it gets worse. It comes and it goes. So that's a suspicious history. Those people get twos, right? So the E, the E is what we get on every patient who comes in the ER with, an e, with chest pain, and that's an EKG, right? And zero is stone-cold normal EKG. One is you have some T-wave abnormalities, maybe some flattening or some inversions that shouldn't be there. A two is ST depression. There is no three, because if it's a STEMI, you're not using this, you're calling the cath lab, 
right? So that's not even on there. So they actually concentrate on the ST portion and not the and not the QA portion. That's a great question, though, David. And the and the reason is because people can queue out before, and if so, we've kind of missed the boat uh, on a lot of immediate intervention. But you're also going to pick that up later on, and we'll talk about that. So A, so if you have a 20 year old right coming in with chest pain, and you have a 70 year old exactly age, so less than 45 is zero. 45 to 65 is 1, 65 above is 2. So older people get higher scores. R, R is risk factors. It's the company you keep. Are you a healthy marathon running 70-year-old? 70, 70 well, then you really don't have that many risk factors, right? Uh, or do you have diabetes? Do you have hypertension? Do you have a family history that's significant for coronary disease? All those get you more points. And it's off the top of my head, I think zero to one risk factors is zero. One to three is one, and three plus is a two for you. The last thing is T, and T is for the things that we check in your blood. Troponin, right? So that's the thing, is to an emergency provider, all these things are things we do every time we evaluate someone with chest pain, and all of them make sense. And what they did in the original heart study is they actually just got one troponin at the time that they came in. Okay. So, and then that's also graded on a, on a one to, you know, I think a one to a zero to two to two scale. Now, what's low risk, what's intermediate risk, what's high risk? So if you're three or less, we consider that low risk. And what that means for your disposition is that at 45 days, Low-risk people have a less than 2% chance of having a major adverse cardiac event. And that was defined as heart attack, need to go to cath lab, need for a revascularization such as a cabbage, or death. So that's what we think of as low-risk chest pain. It's a 2% or 1.7% chance in most of the big studies. When you get between 4 and 6, then we think that you have a little less than a 20% chance of having a major cardiac event in the next 45 days. So these are the people that you'll often see us either admit to the hospital for observation or possibly stress. And the final group is the ones with 7 to 10. Those people are really, really high risk, and they have oftentimes a 50% chance of having an MI, dying, etc., in the next 45 days. So they're definitely coming in. We might be consulting cardiology. We might be starting them on heparin drips or on nitroglycerin drips, depending on how good their story is and their clinical history is. Okay. So that's a quick breakdown of the heart score. Okay, let me ask you a question. Heather, why do MIs happen in the morning? Um, why do MIs happen in the morning? I'm going to say because you start to wake up and start stressing your heart. That's great. That's great. That's actually exactly why that happens. Yes. Okay. Why do why do respiratory why do respiratory events happen at night? Because then you're chilling out and your respiratory rate is going down and you're trying to sleep and so you start to do funky stuff. Yep. Okay. You can no longer compensate. You're not compensating as well. Okay, great. <laughs> it has to do a lot with cortisol levels and stress hormone levels, right? So we think that 
basically steroids are good for your lungs, right? That's when everyone comes in at night and they're huffing and puffing, asthma exacerbation, COPD. We give them a big slug of solumedrol or decadron or prednisone. And that's because when you're going to sleep, your steroid levels are actually going down. So that's where people will start getting into a little more respiratory distress. In the morning, and they stay down all night, and then in the morning, you actually spike your cortisol levels and you spike your adrenaline as part of your waking up process. So when you do that, you actually have the highest chance of MI. So that's why we see, at least time-wise, more MIs in the morning, more respiratory events at night. Okay, cool. Any other questions from the group? Why does cortisol have anything to do with MIs or respiratory? <laughs> <laughs> cortisol is your body's native, native, uh, native steroid. It's a, it's a hormone, you know? So we know that a lot of cardiac events are related to stress, right? There's things like Takasubo cardiomyopathy or, or stress cardiomyopathy that's just related to adrenaline and stress hormones. Um, so oftentimes it's kind of that, that mix. And stress hormones do a few things. One, they raise your blood pressure. They make you prothrombotic, right? So if you start forming a clot, it's more likely to propagate and actually turn into something more, more severe, like an MI or like unstable angina. Okay. So there's a lot of cool physiology that happens with that. But it's just one of the things that you guys have probably noticed is you are providers for a long time, is more respiratory crap happens at night and more cardiac stuff happens right when you're about to check out. Okay. Do cortisol levels affect um, people that have AFib and the incidence of strokes? Ooh, hmm, good question. Definitely cortisol. Elevated cortisol levels and stress hormones over time increase your cardiovascular risk factors, especially macrovascular. Um, so that's things like stroke, things like, like MI, et cetera. So, for example, all of us have worked a night shift, right? Mm -hmm. We all have higher cortisol levels thanks to our work, work, cycle, work cycles. Night shifters have much higher cortisol levels generally than, than day shifters do. So, and you're right that... Cortisol over time and stress hormones over time are bad for you. So, you know, in terms of the AFib, I don't think it's as related to AFib as other factors would be, such as, uh, you know, right heart disease or heart disease period. Um, a lot of AFib is structural. So as you get more wear and tear on your heart and that atria grows larger, sometimes it's more prone to focal arrhythmias, which is basically what AFib is. You know, many different foci or, or microcircuits going around in the heart. So oftentimes we see AFib more in people with COPD, people who are older, etc. So I don't have a great answer for cortisol levels in AFib. Okay. How long has the heart scale been in effect? Heart scale was first written in 2008, right? It was validated then in a large study in 2010. And that's where most of our quote numbers come from. It's since then had actually a few prospective studies done here in the United States. One was in Chattanooga. The other one was in another place in the United States that shall remain secret. <laughs> but, you know, the American, the American model, we actually get, not, we don't follow the original heart score, which is based on one troponin. We get delta troponins. And it's because our medical legally in the United States, a 2% miss rate isn't good enough, right? Uh, we'll often go for lower. We want our miss rate at less than 1%. If you talk with the trial lawyer, we should never, ever miss an MI. But, uh, but that's why we're a lot more conservative. 
So there's a little bit of a debate, too, whether we should be sticking people around for two hours, for three hours, for six hours. I think that number has come down more and more of, as we've realized that we don't need to subject people to six-hour ER stays and that it doesn't really add much. But still, that's a number that's really in debate in the literature. And you'll probably notice different ER doctors practicing just a little differently with it. Okay, good questions, guys. Anything else? You can thank... My brain's tired. <laughs> okay, brain's tired. I agree. We can thank Papa Joe for this medical minute. Good job, Joe. Interesting subject. Thank you, Jose. Thanks. Good night, Jose. Good night, team. Bye-bye.